Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world Open the pod bay doors now. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the most you ever lost in the contest? Go ahead. Make my day. Hello and welcome back to Black Hole Cinema. My name's Dan Taylor and I'm back in the hosting chair for the first time uh, since our summer break. And also joining us from since the break uh, is Fail Critics' Owen Hughes. Hello. And Mr. Chris Haig. Hello. How are you both? I'm good. Yeah, all right, thank you. How are you? Not, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, what's been going on in the world of Fail Critics then, Owen? What has been going on? Yeah, I should have prepared something. I... Um... <laughs> Uh, we we've been doing quite well lately. I'm quite pleased with how Power Critics is running at the moment. We've had um, a corridor of praise episode where we inducted Danny Dyer. That seemed to be quite popular, unexpectedly popular. I would I would think. Brilliant. <laughs> it inspired me to buy Assassin on DVD the other day. So I was going to pick you up on that. Did you watch it? Yeah. Have you? I um... haven't yet. <laughs> okay. Because I I got back to my um hotel room and uh, I realised I didn't have a DVD player. Um, <laughs> I left my laptop in the car, so in the end I had to instead watch uh, the rerun of Question Time, which you know it's uh... <laughs> two polar opposites there. In in kind of ballpark, isn't it? Really. <laughs> uh. um, yeah. Um, but otherwise, it's been going quite well. Thanks. Yeah. Good, and you can uh, find um, Owen and the Failed Critics at failedcritics.com and on Twitter, obviously, Failed Critics. Chris, have you been up to much in the uh, podcasting internet world? In the podcasting internet world, not much over the summer. Uh, Tom East and I run uh, Fan Friction and we took a nice summer break because we were both very busy with real life stuff, which basically (laughs) is just we couldn't be bothered. No, I shouldn't say that. We genuinely did have a lot of stuff going on. We came back a few weeks ago, I believe it was at the start of August, and we're taking a, a little break just while we get through some more stuff and planning. But yeah, um, it's going well on Fan Friction, and just having fun and reading out things that people send us, no matter how mortifying they, they really are. So <laughs> Wonderful. And you can uh, find Fan Friction on Twitter as well. Yeah. Reviews coming up uh, in the show. We are looking at Everest, uh, as well as M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit. 
Uh, we'll be revisiting the Hall of Fame, uh, and this week we'll be uh, inducting uh, directors who have been fortunate enough to win an Academy Award. We'll also be looking at the UK and the US box office about midway through the show to compare how both sides are getting on um, in the cinema world. Uh, but first, we've got the news. Uh, Chris, what news story have you got for us this week? I have got a piece of news very dear to my heart, which is that uh, Universal have not exactly pulled the plug, but they have halted production on Pacific Rim 2, um, mm-hmm. which is a Guillermo del Toro film that he had said he was going to put into works and which there's a script that's currently being written for the Renny View, who aren't aware, is a 2013 film where basically it's ro- mankind in robots trying to punch the crap out of invading sea demons. Um, and it's it's <laughs> awesome. It, it really is. It's the most kind of visceral, you know, kind of childlike joy in just seeing them beat the crap out of, you know, sea monkeys. It's, it's joyous. <laughs> So I am I'm a bit disappointed that Universal have decided to do this. I mean, I believe it's off the back of a couple of big failures that they've recently had. Um, I can't tell you what those failures are because uh, I can't remember them, which might actually say something for why they've decided to halt Pacific Rim 2. I believe they were genre offering, offerings, so I don't know. Um, Del Toro has said that he will be moving on with it and, you know, he will still be putting a script in and putting an actual kind of um, outline forward and that he is still planning to do it, but he may do another film in the interim. So I, I really hope that this is just like a temporary setback because I really love the film and it's, you know, very well regarded. So yeah, I, I just want to see more people beating the crap out of monsters with rock'em sock'em robots. He's obviously got the strain to keep him busy. But he's I... also got Crimson Peak coming out next month, which I'm ridiculously oh, excited yeah. to see. Because um, I'm not a huge Victorian gothic horror fan, but I'm just, I've seen the trailers for it and I'm like, oh, this looks amazing. So I'm going to try and drag a load of friends around uh, Halloween time to go see it. Um, mm. it, does, it looks really good. It's an interesting one, actually, um, Crimson Peak. So uh, it's interesting to see how that one gets on. It will certainly be a break from the usual paranormal activity rubbish, yes. uh, exactly. which there's never one of those coming up as well. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, it does yeah. look a little bit like Insidious meets the woman in black to me. And yeah, so yeah. But if you've got Guillermo del Toro's sort of visual style to it, mm. I'm sure mm. it will be interesting, but I'm I'm not so confident. I'm... I don't. I don't know where how well it's going to work. I think it's going to hinge on the performances, and particularly it looks like Tom Hiddleston's going to be a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's certainly got a more reputable cast than those two, hasn't it? Really. Yes. Because um, yeah. obviously, yeah. Insidious has got Rose Byrne, and that's about it. Um, but I and... like Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, uh, is it Mia Watson. 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 Is she in this? Watsakowska. Yeah. Yeah, she's in this one, isn't she? Yes. Uh, um, you know, as Chastain. you said. Top, yeah, mm-hmm. just saying Tom Hiddleston, so really actually quite a big cast for a yeah. um, kind of horror. Uh, moving on swiftly, um, my news is also very kind of um, middle of the road, comic booky related. Um, it's all to do with Zack Schneider's swipe at the Ant-Man film, which was released this year, um, and basically how he's saying that um, uh, his film coming up, Batman vs Superman, 
won't be the flavor of the week, as he called it, um, as Ant-Man uh, was. And currently the, the, the Marvel film that's taken the least amount of money uh, recently, but that doesn't say much really because it did take a, a stonking amount of money anyway. In reply, Sebastian Stan, who plays uh, Bucky Barnes in The Winter Soldier and also coming up in the the next Captain America film, uh, obviously Civil War, um, he basically uh, replied, basically saying, uh, yeah, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, do I want to fire some shots at DC right now at Zack Snyder? question mark uh i read some of the comments where he said uh something about batman and superman and i can't remember where i read that somewhere something about it's not going to be the flavor week um ant-man um and i was like oh yeah thanks Zach. that's a great way to do something original uh not exactly very classy though is it from Zach mm. no no i think he's got a point in a sense you know ant-man's it was in, it was an entertaining little film but i think 50 percent of the people who've seen it have probably forgotten all about it by now um, yeah. Whereas Batman versus Superman isn't going to be that flavor of the week sort of film because it's Batman and Superman. Yeah. Um, probably nothing to do with Zack Snyder is why yeah. it won't be just the, the you know that month's big film. Um, it's because of the characters who are in it and yeah. probably ahead of Zack Snyder, the actors who are in it. You know Ben Affleck for crying out loud. He's, yeah. he's, he's pretty yeah. big now. I mean he's he's really huge, uh, a, a big proper movie star. Um, so if anything is going to attract people to seeing that film, it'll be A, Batman, B, Superman, or C, Ben Affleck. I don't mm. think um, Zack Schneider's... He should really be uh, bragging about it, because at the yeah. end of the day, he's not going to be the person who sells that film, to be honest. No. Well, yeah. if, if you know anybody mentions the name um, Zack Schneider, I just think of all the awful films that he's made, or the um, kind of big crash-bang-wallop um, <laughs> mess- messes. But, but I do... Uh, I... I do like Zack Snyder as a director, and I'm kind of looking forward to see what seeing what he does with such a big film. And I keep yeah. saying it after everything he does that oh, I still think he's got a big, really popular film in him. And I just yeah. hope he didn't yeah. do that too soon with 300. We'll see. I certainly don't think we'll be inducting him into our uh, Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, wait till you see who gets in there later. Yeah. <laughs> Might be a surprise. <laughs> um, and our final story, Owen. Yeah, final story. Um, just one I came across earlier, which caught my um, caught my eye, actually, on the BBC uh, news website. Uh, the headline just says, Martin Amos film dropped from Toronto amid legal rape. Basically, what's going on at the moment is the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, obviously, in Canada. And this, this guy's film, London Fields, uh, by uh, Matthew Cullen. He claimed the producers added incendiary imagery without approval. Basically, what he's saying is he finished his film, he handed it back, and he, what he thought was going to be um, published, what was going to be distributed, actually is not his film. He's saying they've added all these extra bits in, nothing that was in the script, nothing that was in his... He, nothing that he shot either. So this is actual, like, could be stock footage, or it could be, you know, they've got some other guy behind uh, Cullen's back to come in and, and, and produce these last images these last scenes and he's now going through uh, legal action in los angeles about this and he wants his name taken off off the film but why, why i thought it was quite interesting is because this this kind of thing happens well i wouldn't say quite a lot that might be exaggerating but it does sort of happen every so often um with these sort of bigger films because this this film's got people like johnny depp in it it's got johnny depp's um wife uh, amber heard who's in it as well 
it's one of those where is he right to want his name taken off it? And I'll, I'll say why. What's, what the, the, the producers have come out with, they've issued a statement um, which says, which is brilliant, the way they've worded this is brilliant, is, sadly, Matthew can't deal with the fact that he does not control the final cut of the movie, which I think is very bitchy. I'm sure they were lifting their handbags up when they were saying that. Um, and then it was, he was given two deadlines to deliver a director's cut and missed both deadlines. His guild has rules for withdrawing his name from the picture and he missed those deadlines. So there's quite an interesting bit of um, background politics going on there. Mm. And it kind of gives you an insight into where producers come from, because obviously to them, they're telling this guy to make them a saleable product. It's retail. You know, we're giving you this money. We want you to adapt this because we think we can make profit on it if you do well. And he's given them something different to what they've asked for. Because obviously, at the same time, he's an artist creating a bit of art. And that isn't always the most marketable product. So you've kind of got this tug of war between the two of them. And I think it's, it'll be interesting to see who, who wins in this, particularly as, you know, the statement from the producers is he was given these ultimatums, he was given these deadlines, and he blew them. So yeah. why should they bend to his... His will, really. I wonder how much truth is in that, though, that, you know, he was given the opportunity to take his name off the film. Mm. Yeah, was, was it before these changes were made, even? Did he submit his finished product, then go, are you sure you want to put your name on this? <laughs> and yeah. Then they go, and then they go ahead and change a load of shit. He goes to the test screening and goes, wait, wait, what? This isn't the movie I made. <laughs> <laughs> um, which sounds very familiar um, to uh, uh, recent events. Uh, obviously, going back to Fantastic Four being a very different movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Josh Trank was very vocal in that, wasn't he? Mm. Mm, yeah. Um, so you got lots of directors, I think, kicking off at the moment about um, the kind of mm. influence and um, uh, effect that producers and, and, and you yeah. know, studios have. Um, but but when you're working for organisations like this, where it's it is their film, it's not your film, whether you want to say it is or yeah. not. Um, it, it, it is a film that belongs to them. If you if you want to make your film, go off and you know fund it yourself, make your own independent film. Um, you know, you know, or have the kind of money and influence that play people like Tarantino does, and then you know, then you can say, you know, this is my movie. But when you're effectively working for somebody, you know, the the final cut, as it were, the final decisions doesn't mm-hmm. fall to you, but falls to your boss, just as it would at work. <laughs> well, precisely. Um, you yeah. know, if, if you if you work for a graphic design company, for example, you make you know you you know you you produce this this piece of you know graphic design, and then it goes off to, to you know to upstairs, and, and upstairs goes oh I don't quite like this, and they adjust it a little bit, and then when the finished product kind of comes out, it's not actually what you did at all really, um, mm. but obviously you're still being credited for it. Yeah, so and also I mean it's had its press screenings now, and you yeah. can sort of see from the producer point standpoint is well he's just waited for this to come out and it's not done very well, and mm. now he wants his name taken off it because he thinks we've ruined it and it would then put the, uh, you know mm. there's a lot of fingers being pointed at each other for this I think so but yeah I just thought it was quite an interesting interesting topic when I when I caught when I sort of stumbled across it online earlier. <laughs> Moving on uh, to our first review, somebody that probably needs to take his name off films more often. Um, <laughs> it will be reviewing, or Chris will be reviewing rather, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit. Maybe we should go outside and film some evening shots of the house. Or 
Sounds good, sister. Could you clean the oven for me, Becca? Becca, she's done it before. We really should film something outside. Do this first. I'll be quick. Oh, this will just take a second. Two children are sent to their grandparents' house to spend a week with their grandparents, obviously, uh, while their single mum goes on a relaxing vacation with her boyfriend. One of the kids, Becca, decides to film a documentary about her grandparents in order to help her mum reconnect with her parents and also find out some things about her parents as well. While filming the documentary, however, Becca and her little brother Tyler discover a dark secret about their grandparents. <laughs> Yeah, so The Visit is kind of the latest offering from M. Night Shyamalan, who is, it's really sad in a way, because over the past sort of 10 years, he's become synonymous with producing kind of crap, basically. There's no other yeah. there's, there's, you know, better words for it, but I'm trying to keep this a little bit PG. But he has, he has produced some real stinkers over the years, including my least favourite film of all time, which is uh, The Happening. Um, I quite like happening I, I know it's sacrilege no. but it's it's just so bad it's good i just it cracks no. me up yeah. I, I laugh my way through all of it and for that i can't hate it i oh, just yeah. think it's so funny i kind oh. of think the same as well and i love mark Wahlberg. <laughs> i guy can't do it wrong anyway so uh i'm not sure Lamont has basically done some really terrible films over the years but he started out as kind of the new uh, face on the block when it really came to the thriller and kind of the suspense twist thriller. So obviously he started with stuff like The Sixth Sense, which is more famous for the twist than the actual plot. Like I can always tell you the twist of the film, but I can't tell you, oh, this happens and this happens, that sort of thing. And he did the film with Samuel L. Jackson, which is Unbreakable, and Signs, which was okay. And he, uh, I think personally the best one I have seen and until The Visit, the last one I saw in the cinema, which was The Village, mm-hmm. which there is a twist in that which genuinely <laughs> blindsided me in the last 20 minutes. And I just went, oh, my got and that was 10 years ago and it was really well done and it was not leaked in a trailer nothing hinted at it which i think is really interesting so i went to see the visit and i was actually very pleasantly surprised i mean it's not a brilliant thriller um it does have its moments it does have moments which are generally scary because you have the two kids who you know they decide to film their visit kind of documentary style and get all kind of huge stuff from the grandparents and everything when weird stuff starts to happen because they basically get a curfew every night saying oh grandparents say oh well we're we're an older generation we go to bed early you know we'd appreciate if you basically stayed in bed at, i think it's half nine or something so they're like oh okay whatever um and then it's obviously when they start going out that they start finding weird stuff going on so it's a weird a thriller that you could you could logically work out there's no kind of 180 complete blindside twist like if you thought about it you thought oh okay this logically does make sense and this you know could happen and this could happen and there are some genuinely good you know scares in it there's some kind of jump out the seat moments which i think are doing quite well the acting is quite good in it. I, you know, the only person who I could recognise among the cast was Catherine Hahn, who has been in tons of stuff. Like I remember her recently from Parks and Rec, and but she only pops in really as the mother of the two 
kind of protagonists, which are the children, who, who both do their job, you know, fairly well and everything. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing really much to say about it. It's a perfectly serviceable, quite okay thriller. It, it's popcorn. It's a very good Friday night thriller to go and see. You know, you walk out not being, you know, traumatised or anything. It won't, you know, you won't be upset at it. It won't, it, def- it definitely won't be anyone's, like, top film of the year. And it won't even be the best film M. Night Shyamalan has ever put his name to. But it's quite good. It's quite enjoyable. And at the end of the day, when it comes to people like M. Night Shyamalan, who, sadly, his work kind of veers from The Sixth Sense, which is quite scary and quite brilliant and quite fresh, to something like Lady in the Water... But yeah, so the the visit's all right actually. I went into this thinking it was going to be absolutely awful, and it was actually you know pretty pretty okay. So I'm mm. quite happy with that. I'm not expecting miracles or anything, but it was just it was all right. A- an improvement on After Earth, or <laughs> well, if it helps, I've not actually seen After Earth because the last Will Will and Jane Smith film I saw was they did The Pursuit of Happiness, wasn't it? Yeah, that was good. There was nothing really about After Earth that I thought, ah, oh, okay, this isn't, you know, whatever. Um, I, for my sins, I did see a bit of the, um, he did the Avatar movie a few years ago, was it? Uh, yeah, Last Airbender he did. Airbender, yeah. that's it. Which I've never seen the original kind of uh, anime or the manga or whatever it is, but um, I saw a bit of it and I didn't pay for it. It was on, <laughs> oh, this is how genius it is. I saw it on a TV station in Tunisia a few years ago. <laughs> and, it was, and it was so great in that it was so, so bad yeah. that I switched to Al Jazeera and just I just listened to the news in Arabic and I thought, it's still better. I don't know what to say <laughs> Arabic, but it's still better than watching a load of random people just do awful things to what I'm told is a well-beloved anime. So. You could you could stick a sharpie in your eye and have a better time than watching Last Airbender. It is yeah. terrible. Yeah. Yeah, well, and yet weirdly he did. I, I can't remember if he wrote or if he just produced it. Was it Devil a few years ago? Yeah, he produced. Yeah. Devil. He, you know, it said from M Night Shyamalan, and he was a producer on it. And I thought that was that was okay. I mean, I wouldn't watch it, you know, regularly. But the idea of these five or six people trapped in the elevator and there's a supernatural presence, I thought that's actually not. Yeah, his future lies more in producing and kind of nurturing new scary talents. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's quite. Hmm, I got that. Yeah, I think since Signs, he's pretty much consistently made rubbish. All I will say is the visit's actually okay. Yeah. Because I quite liked the village because I remember seeing it when I was a teenager with friends, and we remember getting really freaked out because at the time. Oh, this is so geeky. But uh, at the time was when they really had, you know, pushed the websites, you know, interactive websites for the mm. movies. And because it was Warner Brothers, they were used to doing a lot of the Harry Potter stuff. So I remember, you know, putting the headphones and going on the village thing because I was really excited to see it. And it was on like, but the red is the bad colour. It must not be worn. And I was just like, oh, my God. This sounds terrifying, like it's some kind of fucked up demon thing coming to just eat everybody. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is actually pretty good. And like I said, the twist in the last 15, 20 minutes, it really threw me the first time I saw it. And then on reflection, I'm like, oh, that's actually very weirdly smart, that. In like a really weird, you know, 180 way. No one has no idea it's going to happen in cinema because there was just a collective kind of, what the fuck is that? (laughs) 
I can remember what the twist is, but not the logic behind it. So all I can remember is, you know, well, I won't say it in case anyone's listed and, and hasn't mm. seen it yet. But I can remember yeah. what happens, but not why it happens. So I've just got this weird memory of that film of like thinking, yeah. what the fuck is going on? Why is this happening? See, hmm. he hasn't really done anything spectacular. I mean, far from the opposite, he's kind of work has taken a significant downturn so to see him actually doing something that isn't fantastic but it's solid and it's enjoyable and it doesn't it doesn't try and beat you over the head with its kind of clever twisty oh look at me aren't i being really high concept it's Mm. like no you're just being annoying (laughs) it's it's great being high concept if you can pull it off but that's my problem that's my issue with the happening is that it's such a cool high concept sci-fi Warren Ellis kind of idea mm. of, you know, oh, it's a, a biologically released pathogen or whatever from nature that causes people to kill themselves. I'm like, that's that's really smart. And then he's done it in such a ham-fisted, miscast, just generally awful sort of way. It's not that a film is deliberately going out to be shit. It's that it starts off with best intentions and then has it's none of it is reflected in the decent product. I think he he will struggle to get away from that reputation, um, mm, and it probably yeah. will hinder the visit. And I think the other thing that that people get annoyed about, um, it, it you know, and it's a byproduct of having twists, is that it's almost become acceptable to talk about what the twists are in M Night Shyamalan yeah. films. Because you know, it you get films like Planet of the Apes, Star Wars. Um, Soylent Green, where you know what the spoiler is because it's popular culture to talk about the twist. Yeah. And the same thing happened to, you know, Sixth Sense, as you sort of mentioned earlier. People know what the twist is without necessarily knowing what the plot of the film is. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And it's it sort of hinders his, his reputation in that people will just wait to see what the twist is before possibly going to see his film. Yeah, that's really, it kind of ties into the current thing of spoiler culture in that... Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm awful for it in that if I see, you know, Game of Thrones spoilers or spoilers for Marvel or whatever, I I will go read them because part of me is like, I don't really want to spend money in the cinema for something Mm. that, you know, oh, my favourite character dies or Mm. this happens and I'm really annoyed about it. So I I get it. I mean, in a weird way, it's being discerning because, you know, with the twist and everything, if people are like, oh, I'm going to like that knowing that that happens and like seeing the build up to it, then that's great but then equally you've got this kind of thing where you don't i mean i it's like i always check with people particularly with someone like game of thrones for example where i'm like oh okay so where are you up to and they just say oh okay well this has happened now and i have to kind of moderate it if they said they're caught up with everything then that's fine if i if we're up to the same thing because i would be mortified if i accidentally revealed some and people went oh i haven't actually yeah. Got that. But, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, it would yeah, be like yeah. a knife to my soul. No, <laughs> it's like you know. Do you know the website Mashable? I don't think I've ever actually been on it. I've certainly okay. <clears throat> they have a lot of you know topics from news and media yeah. and all that kind of thing. Well, they they had an article on their website before, which they published on Facebook. So I was following them on Facebook, and they had this thing that was complaining about spoilers. Yeah. And I used to read a lot of their 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 articles at the time. And they was complaining about people 
and this like spoiler culture where people just go straight onto Twitter afterwards and say exactly what's happened and stuff. Yes. And I thought, okay, well, that might be interesting to read about some people complaining about spoilers. And I clicked on it, and the fucking first thing it has in there is a spoiler about Breaking Bad. It says, isn't this spoiler <laughs> terrible? And then it reveals what happens. I'm like, what the fuck? How can yeah. you <laughs> trick me? That's <laughs> mean. That's really, that's really cruel. It's backwards, that. isn't it? I was so yeah. furious about that. But, you know, I, I always think, if in doubt, just don't, don't mention it. Just avoid the internet just like you know yeah. on certain websites you can kind of on tumblr you can blacklist stuff so you can, yeah if it's like say breaking bad you can go breaking bad breaking Bad spoilers bb spoilers you know i end up having to just thing. avoid twitter every saturday to wait for match of the day if you go on match if you go on oh yep you're in the football that's it <laughs> How geeky is this? When you said on Saturday, I generally thought it was like, oh, Doctor Who. yeah, exactly. Doctor oh, Who. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually haven't seen it yet, so don't spoil it for me. Trailers are also a pain in the ass for spoilers because yes. the, the trend for them at the moment seems to be put all of the best bits in the trailer so people will go and see it, and then you go and watch the film yeah. and it's just the best bits that are in the trailer yeah. padded out with loads of crap. And particularly with thrillers, that it. you can kind of piece them together. You can kind of figure yeah. out, oh well. There's a tiny shot there where so and so is looking menacing. I bet they're the baddie, you know. Yeah. Although I was I was really angry with the Gone Girl sp- uh, trailer, and then I saw the film and I was like, oh, that was quite a clever trailer because it made me yeah. think it was going to be this and it wasn't. Bringing it back full circle. <laughs> we slightly yeah. went off topic there. Yeah, just uh, the whole back <laughs> Yeah, we reviewed the whole back catalogue of Night Shyamalan, <laughs> 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 as well as uh, his most recent film, The Visit. Tony's review is available um, on the accompanying blog, Black Hole Online. Um, so go check that one out. Uh, if not, you can uh, you can re- you know rewind this and listen to it again if you want to. Um, you know whatever floats your boat. Um, and moving on, uh, we got coming up next is the box office top ten. Before we actually get into the top ten, interestingly, the UK box office Minions is still at number eleven. Um, after 12 weeks, uh, taking $71 million in the UK alone. That's just incredible that that film is still hanging around, even though the summer is well and truly over. Yeah. Um, but um, I know it's, it was back in our cinema, in, uh, my cinema's actually this weekend, so um, I'm sure it's the same over, you know, over the country as well. The first place, number 10 in the UK box office, though, is Irrational Man. Um, have, you, have you heard much about this one? It's a new Woody Allen film. Yeah, I, yes. I try and avoid Woody Allen films. Um, I know bits and pieces about Woody Allen, about this uh, rational man. It's Joaquin Phoenix playing a like a literature professor, and he starts sleeping with a much younger mm. student because every Woody, Woody Allen film always has an older yeah. man forming a relationship with a very young college student. And I'm just like, oh, okay, that's 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 really creepy if you think about his personal life. So yeah. Mm. <sighs> Number 10 in America <laughs> is the, the Kate Mara and David O. Yellow, um, whose name probably isn't pronounced like that, uh, the star, obviously, of Selma last year, uh, is Captive. That's gone in um, at number 10 in the US, uh, taking just over a million dollars. Either of you know about this one? <laughs> I n- never I, heard of it. The only thing I know about it is it's very long and not been reviewed particularly well. All I've heard is that it's it just drags, but it's very slow. I don't think the performances have been criticised um, much, but it's just one of those that's very slow, um, which, you know, it's still early days. The, the, the reviews might pick up a bit when more people see it, but, yeah, initial initial opinion is it's just a slow 
torturous two two and a half hours is it two hours 15 two hours two and a half i think maybe so it's yeah mm. yeah over in the uk number nine uh the empire strikes back uh, the secret cinema still um raping our box office top 10 every week uh now it's been 15 weeks since they've been uh re-releasing star wars episode five whereas in the us number nine is uh the uh, highly praised straight out of compton um, Matt Nathan's review of that one is available uh, on the blog. Number eight in the UK is No Escape, which is the action thriller with um, Owen Wilson and Pierce Brosnan. Um, it has taken uh, 392,000 uh, in the UK this week. Um, after two weeks, it's taken nearly $2 million. Uh, I don't believe it's been released in the US yet. Um, so it might find uh, it can find a better audience over there. The US um, in but yeah, yeah but but ac- action films. Owen Wilson, what's he playing? To stick to comedies, Owen. You know, yeah, you're not very good in those either. But <laughs> action movies. I, I thought it was really bag. weird seeing the trailer with him as an a- in an action film. And yeah. I was like, is he is he just wanted onto the wrong set? Like that, you know, it's supposed to be like Chris Hemsworth or something. And Chris Hemsworth's there. You know, mm-hmm. on Zoolander two, and it's just like they just walked onto the wrong set. So I'm like, oh, okay, Owen Wilson in a thriller. Yeah, okay. It's becoming quite trendy now, I think, to get these these comedians to do serious um, dramas. You know, you've got Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Seth Rogen's popping up in Steve Jobs. Yeah. The yeah. other guy from Superbad yeah. was, you know, uh, in Wolf of Wall Street and Moneyball and Jonah all that. Hill, lot. So yeah. Jonah Hill, that's him. Yeah. yeah. Over in the uh, US. Um, number eight is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, uh, which has taken $191 million um, in the US um, after eight weeks in the charts. Uh, it's sort of fallen three places uh, this week, but I suspect it will hang on probably for another week because um, it is still taking money both sides of the pond. Because over in the UK, number seven, I say I reviewed it. I um, scathingly reviewed it a couple of weeks ago <laughs> um, on the uh, SOA podcast. It was Pixels has dropped place and is in number seven taking nearly half a million uh this week alone um i can't believe it's taken it's taken (laughs) over 12 million dollars in the uk um i just wish they would stop making kevin james and adam sandler films number seven in the us a walk in the woods i've got to be honest know nothing about this one um but i believe it's coming up in the uk next week i think um it's a film about walking obviously um it's robert redford i believe alongside um uh, nick, nolte. nick nolte and emma thompson yeah um so keep your eye out for that one in the uk uh number uh six i've just uh, touched on it uh in the u.s box office but mission impossible road nation that one has taken uh 31 million dollars to date here in the uk after seven weeks so not bad at all i'm sure tom cruise would be very pleased with himself yeah. uh, number six in the us is uh war room which is in now into its fourth week um that one um is a tri-star film apparently um a drama starring uh was directed by alex kendrick who i have no idea who that is but apparently it's according to box office mojo it's ranked number two in faith-based successes Okay. So, I'm assuming it's kind of a kind of religious dramatic horror or something. I don't know, uh. um, but it looks crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the UK, number five, Pixel still going strong with Inside Out after eight weeks. That's taken fifty-six million dollars. Uh, number five in the US. Uh, we're about to review it shortly. Everest 
uh, in at number five. Um, it's uh, only been shown in 545 theatres, though, so I'm assuming it's been released uh, on limited release for the first week or so. So I'm sure that will pick up um, in the US in the next couple of weeks. Um, it does surprise me that it's so low, but as I said, 545 against the uh, number one new release of the week, which is being shown in almost 4,000 theatres across the US. So I'm hoping they've just not decided to not show anybody this film because it is it is very good um we'll review it shortly as i said and uh, number four in the uk uh, um number one last week straight out of compton uh taking 10 million dollars or almost 11 uh in the uk does that surprise you at all that's taken that much money i don't know it's one of these where it's a a, a biopic of a very popular group mm. it's got the it's, there's a solid fan base of people who were there to see it before it was even going to be made, you know, they, they existed. And I think it's it's not a surprise that it's done well. I think what is a surprise is how well it's done and how long it's it's sticking around yeah. for. You can see it's still been in the, in the top 10, you know, come the end of the month, probably even middle of October. But yeah, yeah not surprising, really. Number four in the US is a little known film um, called The Perfect Guy, <laughs> which they uh, briefly talked about on last week's show when they were doing the top 10. Because believe it or not, this was number one last week uh, in the US. <laughs> Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> the, it's, 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 it's kind of straight to DVD type in the UK. Uh, probably, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Probably won't get the time of day uh, over over here, but took $41 million um, so far um, in the US, um, which is just crazy because it's not actually got a particularly uh, recognizable cast, um, even if I remember from what I was listening to earlier. Oh, I remember actually seeing the trailer for this. I, uh, yeah, it does. It looks, it looks so awful. Number three, both sides of the pond. We just reviewed it. M Night Shyamalan's The Visit. It's taken forty-two million dollars uh, in the US. It's in its second week there. Uh, here in the UK, uh, it's taken uh, just over one point five million. Um, which just, just shows how small the UK is, isn't it? Actually, <laughs> it highlights. Mm-hmm. 
um, how our market is in comparison to our um, American friends. Um, number two in the UK is um, one of the uh, other new releases from last week. It's Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials, or as I also know it as The Hunger Games slash Divergent slash Harry Potter slash yeah. every other teen movie that's ever been made that has no real um, kind of unique quality to it uh the guys reviewed it on last week's show tony's review for that one is available uh on the blog uh in the u.s number two is uh johnny depp's new film uh black mass uh which took 23 million dollars uh in its first week over in the u.s i'm really bored to that one actually it's got a really interesting cast Corey stoll is is among them um but it's uh quite a quite a quite a long list of uh, stars uh, Johnny Depp as I said Benedict Cumberbatch uh, Dakota Johnson Juno Temple Joel Edgerton Kevin Bacon Sienna Miller Adam Scott Corey Stoll as I already said oh, wow. uh, um, so that's really interesting from director Scott Cooper um, who uh, made Out of the Furnace uh, last year oh yeah and, that was a good uh, film yeah and Crazy Heart as well um, a few years ago I think that was about 2009-2010 time I think so you've got that one uh, or two in the UK because number one, no real surprise, uh, is uh, Tom Hardy stars Legend, uh, which took eight million uh, in the UK and has done very well for itself already. Um, and no doubt will um, probably uh, hold strong, I would imagine, next week. Uh, probably, even if it doesn't hold on to the top place, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly still be in the uh, top three. Uh, whereas in the US... Just, it just shows what a market these films have. Maze Runner is number one in the US, $31 million in its first Um Quite interesting that that means um, that we got it first, which is mm. which is mm. rare. Whoever is watching those films, I do feel for you. Um, and <laughs> maybe we'll send you a list of films that you should watch instead, yeah. uh, which uh, includes our next review. Uh, it's Everest. Those of you who dare face their dreams, venture consultants offer something beyond the power of words to describe. And why don't we describe it in the brochure? Because it's mostly just pain. <laughs> yes. Put it simply, guys. Human beings simply aren't built to function at the cruising altitude of a 747. Okay, once we get above here, above the South Coal, our bodies will be literally dying. And I mean literally dying. It's not called the death zone for nothing, guys. So the game is, can we get you up to the top and down to the bottom before that happens. On the morning of May 10th, 1996, climbers from two expeditions start their final ascent towards the summit of Mount Everest, the highest point on Earth. With little warning, a violent storm strikes the mountain, engulfing the adventurers in one of the fiercest blizzards ever encountered by man. Challenged by the harshest conditions imaginable, the teams must endure blistering winds and freezing temperatures in an epic battle to survive against nearly impossible odds. Owen, you can go first. Yes. Okay. The short review, the very short review is, okay, so the, the film's 120 minutes. For the first 60 minutes, I thought it was quite dull. I could mm. see what they were trying to yeah. do. I could see they were trying to give you an introduction to these characters. You were trying to understand who they were, a little bit about why they were doing this climb to the to, to the summit of Everest. Very blatantly, no subtlety at all about it, where you get characters asking, why are you doing this? I thought it was a, a little bit yeah. Um, yeah. easy. But then, so I've, I, I didn't get attached to any of the characters. I thought, oh, this, is, this is going on a bit. I, I thought, you know... 
at the 60 minute mark I thought I must have been going for two hours now are they going to get back down where's the drama so it was, it was a bit slow didn't pull me into it and then for the the last hour where as you might expect almost all of the actual drama occurs mm. where they're trying to get down the mountain and they're hit by a storm that's when I suddenly found myself really invested in it and I'll be honest it doesn't happen to me very often it doesn't doesn't happen all that often but I kind of felt a bit emotional watching it. I was, mm. It really kind yeah, of got to me at, at one point. I thought this is this is just tragic, especially because it's based on real people. And it uh, we have talked about spoilers on this podcast, so I won't repeat um, what I said earlier. But I just think you you know what's going to happen to some of these people. Yes. I I knew very little about the actual story. Um, there is a documentary about Everest, which was released shortly after this uh, expedition. I think in 1996, the, the documentary came out. Mm-hmm. But the um, it, it goes into a little bit about why people um, on this expedition ended up doing the things that they did at certain points um, during the trek. But it, 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 it still really packs a, a really big emotional punch during this film. And I, I particularly, um, with Jason Clarke's character, Rob Hall, who, yeah. who leads this expedition, stuff that the, the sort of interactions between him and his wife, who's played by Kira Knightley, and the very dodgy accent. I didn't believe her yes. accent for one minute. <laughs> she, she was, yeah, it wasn't great. But she's but, never been known for her accent, so. <laughs> no, um, I, I think she's a, a little bit of an underrated actress, but her accent there was, was kind of... It, it was worse than her posh accent in Imitation Game, and in that she was basically using her own <laughs> accent. So, yeah. but yeah, so, it, it, but the, the interactions between those two characters were really quite touching. And um, I think you've got to give the director um, a bit of credit. And how do you, how do you pronounce his name, Dan? Would you oh, like to oh, give it a go? Uh, Baltazar Cormacur, I think. Yes, uh, okay, that'll do. Well, I'll have that, that's fine. Yeah, Baltazar Cormacur. I think he did really, really well in the second half of the film. Yes, uh, yeah, I, th- I think they needed to establish something, didn't they? I think they just spent course, yeah. a little bit too long on it. And it's a massive cast as well. You know, you, you've mentioned obviously Jason Clark and um, uh, Kira Knightley, but you've also got Emily Watson. Um, you have Josh Brolin, Jake Gyllenhaal, Robin Wright, who I think got shafted man massively because she was barely in it, which, I, you know, I understand they needed somebody to play that role, but I you know, kind of wanted to for the moment, because I fucking love Robin Wright. Um, Naoki uh, Mori as well, for any Torchwood fans. Uh, it's the first time I've seen her in anything since Torchwood. Um, so it was good to see her again. Uh, Sam Worthington, his his role, again, didn't really, really kick off until like the last kind of 45 minutes, did it? Again, he, he was he was very good. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Debecki as well. Um, and um, no, I'm forgetting someone. Oh, Michael Kelly as well, uh, who's a uh, star of uh, House of Cards. Um, but so I'd actually quite a lot of nationalities um, involved in the cast as well. Tom Goodman-Hill, uh, who's a, a British kind of actor. I think he was in The Humans. He was in it for, well, seconds almost, it felt like. Yeah. The only, one of my criticisms is that it wasn't until quite often they lost your mask off that I recognised who was actually speaking and who they were concentrating yeah. on. With the exception of Jason Clark, because he was quite obviously wearing that red jacket. Everybody else was like, oh, who, who's, oh, oh okay, yeah, it's the woman. <laughs> so it was, that was, it was quite difficult to follow, um, you know, keeping up with who we were actually, you know, supposed to be concentrating on. Yes. Um, and there were, there were certain characters that I didn't like 
either. And I'm, I suppose that's kind of the point, the inflection of real people. But um, I thought um, Josh Brolin's character was a bit of an asshole and uh, wasn't a particularly big fan of Jake Gyllenhaal's character either. But um, as I said, you know, they're based on real people. So I suppose that's obviously what those people were like. Um, but um, <laughs> it was... A... Or well, or was it? I mean, yeah. uh, I, I read an interview with the director... Mm-hmm. Um, where basically he didn't follow any one person's particular story because mm. there were lots of accounts of what happened during that trick. And, and mm. uh, you know, you've, you've got the, the sort of Sherpa story, you've got um, what was recorded on the actual radio that they used to communicate. There were, there were actual recordings that they used, which nobody else had really heard. Even the people who've written books about the expedition hadn't heard them. So he got access to this very privileged data. Mm. And I think that... It, he, he he says that they do use a little bit of artistic license because right. they've got to they've got yeah. to because you know he's got to tell a story rather than just document what happened. So I think that there is a point where what you're watching is you you've just got to stop questioning whether what happened what you're seeing really happened because in in certain, some aspects you you just if you if you watch it logically you'll think well there's no way anyone would know what happened to this guy. Yeah, there's, there's there's a bit where one of them is gone. I won't say any more, but one of them is gone, and there's no way they would have known the details. Yes, of what oh, happened? To him. Yeah, yeah because there would be no one there to tell what had happened and so on. But the, the, so the, there is a little bit of artistic license, and they use a bit of evidence that's that's been collected. And he read all these reports, all these journals, um, mm. all these people's books, and there were people issuing like counter arguments in books. So one person would publish a book about their side of the story. Someone else would read it who was on the expedition and go, "Well, no, that's not what happened. I better write a book as well." So you get two very conflicting accounts of events so th- th- i think there is there is a bit of artistic mm. license but i think at the same time it do- what it does is make it sit into a very cohesive story yeah um so you stop caring about the logics of uh, the logical side of they wouldn't know this happened mm. they would just yeah. have to guess because they can't do anything else and it, yeah. it ends up being quite a quite a good uh solid drama in that mm. sense absolutely and also, you know, again, suspending belief, none of them looked at all like the characters they were supposed to be playing. <laughs> Particularly, Jake Gyllenhaal looked nothing like the guy he was supposed to be playing. Like, not even yeah, he had long hair and a beard. Yeah, they, yeah, they kind of, but he was like the real guy. His hair that long and it was blonde for starters, not dark. And I was like, oh, is that supposed to? That's not who. No, surely they must have got that wrong. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was a bit odd that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in particular looked as far removed from his character as possible but yeah no i i, I admit i had a little bit of a weep towards the end it was, it was pulling at your heartstrings and you know as you said the, the 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 final hour was definitely better than the first and you know at, at, you know as the stakes were being raised kind of yeah it was, it was quite intense and, and you know and, and as i said emotional as well um i think emily watson was very good but i don't think she's ever really bad in anything is she you obviously mentioned kira knightley she was she was okay um you know i'm not the biggest fan of hers um, she's a bit winning me round recently though she's been in a, a couple of uh good good roles mm, recently yeah. so um she's slowly winning me around but i thought michael kelly was really good as i said you know he was he was probably other than Jason Clark's character, the character I was rooting for more than anything. And, you know, obviously there are some really emotions and, I, you know, it's, as you kind of would expect, so it's not really spoiling too much, not everybody makes it. So, you know, but there are some surprises in there as well. And it's definitely well worth watching. Um, has that piqued your interest, Chris? <laughs> kind of. I mean, I... Was that a pun about peaking? 
No, no jokes, gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, to be honest, the fact that you guys have said it's really good kind of sells it, maybe? I mean, well, I, half I, I, of I, it is really good. Half yeah. of it is really good. Yeah. yeah. yeah just, just watch the second half. Don't. Just walk into the cinema an hour later. Love it. I do, <laughs> it's not the first half is bad. I get what they were doing. I just yeah. think it could have been tighter. It could have... They could have sewn it together a little bit more because yeah. lots of it are just clips of them walking. And it's great. Okay, I know they were actually on location. They were actually filming at Camp One on, on Everest and, and all that kind of thing. That's brilliant. And you've got to capture all this natural beauty. And that's part of why people will watch Everest. Yeah. But at the, at the same time, it it just it was so slow. It, it really dragged. And I mm. think that, yeah. You need it. You need it, obviously. You need to be introduced to these mm. guys. You need to have some reason to want them to survive yeah. this yeah. perilous journey. But but it could have just done with maybe... Mm. Even if it was just 10 or 15 minutes cut out of it, yeah. I think it yeah. made it a bit more slick. Yeah, They had a massive bank of characters to work with and, you know, so kudos to, to, to what they did manage to achieve. Um, and as I said, an hour almost felt a bit too too long, but almost in some respects could have been longer um or if it had been done tighter you know if they just you know done a better job at it maybe we'd be sitting here going oh no it was a, it was a good two-hour film rather than it was a good hour <laughs> yeah they could have they could have had sort of three main characters and a lot of peripheral characters and in, in the end they just spread it too thinly with all of them yeah um but yeah, it, yeah. you know again as we keep coming back to it they are they were real people they are real people so it is a little bit sentimental, but not overly so. Yeah. In trying to give them each a bit of bit of backstory, a bit of screen time. Well, I know this is slightly off topic, and I know it, I've listened to a few of the, the recent Black Hole Cinema podcasts since they've come back, and I don't think this this, is, this has happened too often. But I'm going to recommend something for people if they liked Everest, because I think it's a film that hasn't been seen enough. Mm. Um, certainly, like it's not really that popular but I, I, I reckon people would, would love it if they saw it and you might not be aware that it even happened but there's a documentary called The Great White Silence which is from 1924 okay bear with me it was actually restored quite recently in 2011 and it's all footage taken by Herbert Ponting on the original trek to the um, South Pole and it's, it captures that similar kind of feeling of exploring the unknown. And, you know, because of it, it's all this, the snowy conditions and the people who are, they get caught. And, you know, if anyone actually knows the, the, the real story of the Terra Nova or Captain Scott or anything like that, I think they might enjoy the Great White Silence. Because mm. it's all, like I say, it's about this expedition. It's about this trek. Uh, it's just brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. And I would recommend that above Everest, even though it's documentary. But it's because it uses all this actual footage of this 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 trek from 1910, and I can't I can't get my head around how they caught a lot of the footage that they do and how well preserved it is. But I just thought I'd throw that out there because I I love it. It's one of my favourite favorite yeah. documentaries. No, there we go. That's a black hole cinema first. There, um, a, a, a recommendation based on one of the reviews from this week. Um, so. You can go find um, and track it down. Uh, if you want to see Everest, however, it'll be in cinemas for the next few weeks. Uh, both uh, sides of the pond in the US, as I said, it's currently at number five in the uh, box office. Uh, in the UK box office, obviously, it will be uh, appearing in next week's show. So you can find out how well it did uh, here in the UK. Before we wrap up today's show, though, uh, we'll be revisiting the Hall of Fame. Uh, we've done the actors, we've done the actresses, and now we're dealing with directors. 
Uh, we've all chosen uh, two directors who have never won an Academy Award that we wish to induct into our Hall of Fame. Our first choices will be going automatically in. The um, second nominate we make, uh, we'll have to decide between the three of us which one uh, is the most deserving. Uh, so there are four <laughs> places, as it were, up to grabs. Um, I'll kick us off. My first one is Wes Anderson. I'm putting him straight in uh, to uh, the Hall of Fame. He's uh, been nominated for six Oscars, probably most recently uh, famous for the Grand Budapest Hotel, um, which um, if you've listened to the show previously, you'll have heard Tony gushing over in the past. Um, and I'm sure he'll say how uh, Wes Anderson absolutely should have won uh, an Academy Award for everything that he's been nominated for so far. But he was also nominated for Best Writing Back for Moon, Moonrise Kingdom. In 2010, he was for Best Animated Feature Film, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And way back in 2002, he was nominated for Best Writing Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen for The Royal Tenderdoms. I've pronounced that incorrectly, haven't I? Uh, but never mind. There we go. Um, so that's who I'm inducting straight away. Uh, Chris, who Yes. First choice is going to be uh, Guillermo del Toro, the kind of the, the Spanish Mexican kind of author of weird, creepy horror fantasy. He has only been nominated for an Academy Award once, and this was for best original screenplay in 2007 for the, his arguable kind of current masterpiece, which is Pan's Labyrinth. So I think he deserves a lot of Oscars just for being sheer, you know, mental and brilliant. So yeah, that's why I'm, I'm putting him in. The Academy Award for Brilliantly Mad. <laughs> Pretty much, it's like the Academy Award for How the Fuck Did You Think That Up? Yeah. And I just like to think, yeah. just like in a really positive way, it's just like, do you know, that actually really worked and it's nuts. Go maybe, maybe, maybe there is an Academy Award for the insane. Maybe that's a different award show. <laughs> like there's a special Saturn Award or something. It's just like, yeah. you know, yeah. most yeah. bonkers sci fi thing. Uh, yeah, so Galama del Toro. Uh, so that's uh, Del Toro and Wes Anderson so far. Uh, Owen, who are you putting in first? Uh, automatically going in is a Korean director called Lee Chang Dong, and I, wait, I was weighing up who to induct, and I thought I could I could have put in Stanley Kubrick, I guess, but I because I love Stanley Kubrick, he is actually my favourite director. But I thought I thought it'd be a bit boring. So I try and sneak some people in who might not make it in automatically. But Lee Chang Dong is one that um, he's only directed five films in total. And the first one of those was in 1997 and the most recent one was in 2010. But every single film of his that he released have just blown me away. The, all five of them have been spectacular. I mean, not just good thrillers or you know entertaining horrors or anything like that he makes he makes these really uh, invested dramas the most recent one was poetry uh, which it comes up on netflix if you've got netflix and you're sort of looking for international films poetry is one of those that always just comes up and is recommended and it's about this old lady who is the um guardian of her grandson and her grandson is accused of committing this horrible crime at school and at the same time she's losing her uh, memory she's she's got the onset of alzheimer's uh, and dementia and it's a really just a, a really touching story it's just absolutely breathtaking and all of his films are similar and they all deal with really heavy themes that that other people kind of don't 
No, maybe not. Maybe that's incorrect to say other people shy away from him. There are other directors, of course, who tackle these these subjects, but he does them in such a, a really interesting way, and I, I just cannot recommend him enough. Yeah, it's called Lee Chang Dong, and he's only got five films. So if anyone wants to go out there and watch all of his back catalogue, you could do it in a day if you're committed to it. You could do it in a day, <laughs> but he, he, you will be an emotional wreck by the end of it. So just that warning there, that little caveat. Uh, so that's Wes Anderson, Del Toro, and uh, Chang Dong Lee or Lee Chang Dong. Hmm. Uh, Lee Chang Dong because it's a similar sort of thing like in career and China yeah. and stuff. Their, their, their family name comes first, so Lee is his family name, so he's Lee Chang Dong. Bit of trivia for you. Ah, there we go. We put that in the next quiz, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, as I said, Lee Chang Dong, Wes Anderson, and Del Toro. Up next, we've got three directors that we're nominating and will guide uh, from those three um, who will be joining those three. My nomination, we've mentioned one of his films already, actually, uh, on the show. It's uh, David Fincher, most recently uh, Gone Girl, but also uh, The the Social Network back in 2010, uh, way back in 1999, Fight Club with Brad Pitt, um, and also when uh, Brad Pitt joined Morgan Freeman for Seven back in 1995. So um, he's made many a brilliant film. Some of them have won Oscars, either in acting categories or uh, been best film category. I believe, did Social Network win back in 2010? I can't remember. I think it definitely won I think it did, yeah. Yeah, won three Oscars, yeah. Best Writing, Aaron Sorkin. Best Achievement in Film Editing. Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures. And Best Motion Picture of the Year. And Best Performance by a Leading Role. Is that, did he win them all? No, no, no. The three that won was Best Writing, Best Achievement in Film Editing, and Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures. So it won three um, Oscars back in 2011. Um, so, yeah, that's my nomination. Owen, who are you nominating? I will be very surprised if you guys pick... <laughs> Fair enough. Albert Pyon is who I'm nominating, and you probably don't recognise the name because he makes a lot of B movies. And if you have heard of his name, it's going to be for one of two reasons: either you've seen Cyborg, starring John Claude Van Damme, a sci-fi movie from the eighties. Have you? Probably not. Anyway, the other the other reason you may have heard his name is because he was the director of the failed captain america film in the 90s <laughs> the early 90s yeah um that's him that's who i am nominating for this but I'll, I'll give you a reason why i basically spent far too much time this year watching his films because i get intrigued i get hooked by the um the synopsis of them you read the premise of his films online and it just sounds like spectacular and, and you've got to watch it like i'll give you this one this one's called this is the actual title of the film Brain Smasher, a love story. Okay, that's the title. Aww. But yeah, ah, uh, <laughs> the description is: Sam, a professional model, discovers her sister is battling Chinese Shaolin monks and unwittingly enlists a goofy nightclub bouncer for help. That is the description. Does that not make you want to watch that film? That give you kind of amazing, kind of, actually. Yeah. Kind of does, actually, yeah. It kind of does. Heat Seeker. In this futuristic thriller, a human kickboxing champion refuses to join a tournament fighting cyborg fighters until the event sponsor kidnaps his fiance. Oh, come on. Oh, does that yeah. not just intrigue you just a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's the interrogation of Cheryl Cooper. A young woman wakes up <laughs> in a room. She assumes it's a police interrogation room. A detective tells her she's the only survivor of a mass killing that evening. Uh, exactly. Well, I can see where that's going. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I mean, there's a few films of his that I haven't seen yet that I really want to see. So Doll Man is one I want to see, and it says it's it, as the title probably gives away. A hard-boiled intergalactic policeman lands on Earth where he is only 12 inches tall. I mean, <laughs> these films get made. These are real films. He's made them. Um, wow. I just think he's just fantastic at what he does. So he takes all these incredible, like ridiculous, completely over the top ideas these concepts works with a very limited budget and in most cases makes a watchable film which is an achievement in itself for some of them this, um, is, this is this is quite funny like on his imdb biography for some reason it says unintentionally born in san diego <laughs> like, how is someone unintentionally born somewhere <laughs> oh, they were just drunk Driving through and they're yeah. like, oh god, we've got to get to Texas. We've just got to, oh, we've got to get to California. <laughs> ah, sorry, the kids out. Ah, shit. Where are we? Yeah. San Diego. Ah, shit. Fuck. <laughs> well, I've got like, I, I genuinely have this admiration for him because I think what he does is is brilliant. I think the fact that he can make films and use these incredible stories. I read an interview with him before. I watched an interview. I think I might have watched it. Um, and someone asked him what his obsession with cyborgs and kickboxing is. And he just says, I don't really care for cyborgs or kickboxing. They just happen to be in my films a lot. And it's just oh. like, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> he just makes well, a fact, ton of cyborg yeah, kickboxers because he can. I think that's brilliant. Apparently there have been four kickboxers. Yes. He didn't direct the first one either. Kickbox wow. the four, the aggressor, and that's that. There probably might even be more. Is it the four? No, no. The, yeah, he made quite a lot of actually uh, sequels. Like he's done apparently Nemesis Four, Death Angel. Yeah. Oh. Nemesis Three, Time Lapse. But Nemesis Two is nothing like Nemesis. The <laughs> Nemesis is about with Oliver Grenier in yeah. it as a sort of really just constantly topless, heavily muscled um, cyborg guy. And in the second one, it's about a time-travelling woman who... It, it's just confusing. It doesn't make a lick of sense. But at the same time, like, it's, like I keep coming back to it, I just love the fact he makes these films. Yeah. I love it. it. And it I does, kind of love him for it. Yeah, It does seem like you're kind of straight to DVD, might buy them at like a petrol station for 99p type films. <laughs> if, if any of his films other than Cyborg have been released theatrically, uh, I will fall off my chair. I don't think they have. <laughs> But yeah, it, 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 there are a few people better at what they do, in particularly in that B-movie genre. It's kind of like a modern Roger Corman before Roger Corman would turn to being just a producer, if that makes, if that sort of gives anyone a sort of frame of reference. He just is yeah. the kind of godfather of B-movies. And Albert Pion's sort of like a modern version of Roger Corman. I almost don't want to hear Chris's. <laughs> <laughs> I always want to just put him straight in. <laughs> oh, okay, Chris, what was your nomination? I don't even know if mine can compete, but, but um, mine's the kind of very traditional. I would really like to see Alfred Hitchcock in this because he is kind of one of the most influential filmmakers there's ever been, particularly in terms of how. Uh, directors actually use the camera to build up tension and fear and suspense and he really is kind of the best at doing that so if you look at his back catalogue there are films like uh, Shadow of a Doubt or Psycho or Vertigo or Rewindow or you know The Lady Banishes on the 39 Steps or there are hundreds and hundreds well hundreds that's a bit of an exaggeration there are t- <laughs> I was really thinking he's prolific he's not that prolific there are dozens of 
dozens and dozens of films that he's managed to do and they're all distinctly kind of Hitchcockian in that there's this psychosexual vibe to a lot of them a lot of them are very dark a lot of them have a very twisted sense of humour and it's really impressive to the man's kind of calibre and his history as a filmmaker that he has you know completely changed how we view horror and how we view the thriller or the action movie and yet, weirdly, he has never won an Oscar. He did receive the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award, which I don't think counts as a real Oscar because it's not even shaped like an Oscar. So I'm just, yeah. No, no, generally, That's it's not the defining like... category, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's got to be shaped like an Oscar. <laughs> well, it's given out at the award, but you don't get, well, you do, it's not a competitive nomination. So they just decide, you know, each year, oh, okay, we'll give it to so-and-so this year. Yeah, great, whatever. And I think, you know, the thing, oh, it's not shaped like an Oscar, it's just shaped like the guy who it's named after. So I just, I've, never, I've never seen one, so I don't know if it's just like his face or if it's like an actual kind of weird gold thing of of the, you know. A gold man. Yeah, yeah <laughs> a gold man. So, yeah, it's kind of surprising to me that he never actually received any kind of awards himself. He films did. Several of his, you know, leading ladies and actresses did receive uh, awards. So I believe John Fontaine received one for Suspicion in 1941. I think I've probably got that completely wrong. I apologise. I believe that the writer of uh, Rear Window received an Academy Award for adapting the screenplay from the original uh, short story but no it's really surprising to me given that every, you know Hitchcock is a massive massive influence on cinema as a whole and yet there's no like actual recognition for him there's no you know there is no Academy Award which is, it is the pinnacle whether or not we like it or not whether or not we actually buy into the idea that you know oh awards are you know they're meaningless or whatever it's still surprising. He's kind of the grandfather of horror, wasn't he, really? He really is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he is like the king of suspense. So if you've never seen a Hitchcock film, then, you know, go, there are plenty of websites there that kind of advertise the best ones. Uh, so nominations uh, is uh, David Fincher, uh, Albert Pyun. Is that Pyun? Pyun? Pyun, I think it is, yeah. Pyun, yeah. Albert Pyun and obviously uh, Alfred Hitchcock. I'll kick off the voting. Um, my vote will go to the granddaddy uh, of horror himself, uh, Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock. Chris, you can't I, nominate your own. So. I know. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine, to be honest. I listen to other nominations as much as I would like to give my vote to a guy who created a film called Dollman. Um, <laughs> it's got to be David Fincher. I love so much of David Fincher's films. Like Seven is one of my favourite all-time favorite films and i love the recent stuff like gone girl and girl with yeah. too so i yeah it has to go here sorry yeah. sorry owen that's no, okay okay <laughs> i expected it i thought it was fine the swing vote owen <laughs> yeah um i am gonna massively swing in favor towards alfred hitchcock there are fincher films that i like but hitchcock's body of work is just phenomenal i mean it's incredible that one man made the quality of film that he did so often and like we've talked about the impact the influence that he's had um on, on other filmmakers yes it's got to be hitchcock i'm afraid yeah. sorry dan yeah, it's all right i think it would have been wrong to have not had Alfred hitchcock amongst our hall of fame particularly because as we've already 
mentioned he didn't actually uh, win a proper, I'm calling it in inverted commas, a proper Oscar. <laughs> um, so hopefully he'll be up there thinking, um, well, at least at least I've been voted into Black Hole Cinema's Hall of Fame. That makes it all, that makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> I'm not sure Albert Pion will be contented with just being mentioned. Knowledge, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in fact, he probably is. He's probably, you know, beside himself with joy. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, so that means our four going into the Hall of Fame uh, Wes Anderson, Del Toro, and uh, Lee Chang Dong, and obviously Alfred Hitchcock. So those are the four joining our actors and actresses. Find the full list of those on the website, uh, blackholeonline.wordpress.com. At the moment, uh, have got a domain name coming, as well as we'll be launching very shortly on Acast. Uh, so we're joining uh, you, Owen, um, on, on mm-hmm. Acast. Um, how's that going for you on Acast? Are you, are you liking it? I do like it, yeah. I'm not sure how many people listen to our podcast directly in Acast, but it's brilliant that it gives you the option to... To, to be a bit more interactive with it. So if people listen to Black Hole Cinema um, on ACAST, what Tony could do, what like what we do with Fail Critics, is you can bookmark specific sections. So people yeah. don't have to listen to it in the order that you record it. If someone thinks, well, what I want to do first is go to the main reviews and then go back and listen to the box office news and then I'll have a look at recommendations. They could do that if they want, you know, depending on what Tony does. You can also link directly to articles. So I use it a lot for um, if people are listening to, to Fail Critics and we talk about say, The Visit, I could link to um, Andrew Brooker's review of The Visit on our website and people can just click on the link straight from the podcast, straight in from Twitter even. It's really, it's just a fantastic tool, I think. And uh, it, it's been great for us. Our listeners' numbers have increased and I don't know why. I can only assume it's the it's the fact that we're on ACAST now, not that we've suddenly become better in the last <laughs> few months. But yeah, it's a, it's a great little platform for podcast hosting and um, for people listening to podcasts as well. Uh, that's great. So uh, that is all coming soon. Uh, hopefully, as I said, the domain name and as well launching on Acast. When that does happen, uh, the link will be available um, from the blog. You can find us all on Twitter, uh, Black Hole Cinema, uh, obviously at Black Hole Cinema. I am at Dan Thomas Taylor. Owen, you're at ohughes86. Um, I am, yeah. yeah. And Chris, you're at higher underscore boy. So that's where you can find us. Thanks for joining me, gents. Uh, it was a good show. Uh, hopefully the uh, listeners will agree. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah thanks very much. Not a problem. Um, I'm sure you'll both be back on uh, soon. Uh, you can <laughs> find the guys, as I said, Chris. You can listen to Fan Friction, uh, which will be coming back shortly. Um, and uh, you can listen to Owen uh, over at fellcritics.com. As I said, thanks for joining me, guys. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.